Thank you, the worship team, for uh, leading us this morning. I remember when I was a kid, it was probably about 20 years ago, um, we had one of those evangelism um, week at our church. And like every week we'd go to church, every, actually every day for that week we'd go to church, and at the end of every sermon, um, the preacher would kind of give an invitation. He'd say, you know, if you want to accept Christ and want to become a follower of Christ, come forward and somebody will pray with you. So I remember vividly, like, I was probably sitting in that section of my home church, and I kind of looked at my mom. I said, Mom, should I go? She's like, yeah, sure. So I went. So I went forward. Um, and then after the little prayer time, he took us, the pastor took us in his office and gave us a New Testament. And I was so happy. That was like my very first Bible. The next day, uh, Tuesday, we go to church again, and same thing happens. You know, it gives a message, invite people. My mom was not sitting next to me. I'm like, you know what? I want to make sure that this is for real. So I went forward again. Went forward, got a New Testament, excited. That's two books now. <laughs> Wednesday, did the exact same thing again. Went forward, got a New Testament. I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I was really, really, really saved. And by Thursday, um, again, I went forward, but went afterwards at a little prayer time, went to the pastor's office, and the pastor's like, I think I saw you. <laughs> and unfortunately, that was the end of my Bible collection. But I just wanted to make sure that I was saved. So every night I went forward. And as we read, we're going through this, um, every book of the New Testament. And First John that we're going to look at today speaks to this very issue. How do you know for a fact that you are saved? But before we go through the book, let me uh, put up that little illustration here. I'll hopefully help you remember the theme of First John. Okay, so you see in Scandinavian fellow here, he's somewhat tired and he's experiencing a, a yawn attack. Okay, so he's yawning. His one fellow first yawn. Oh, okay. Um, and what is he checking out? There's a barometer there. He's checking out uh, the fellowship barometer. So first John is about fellowship. How do you know that you have true fellowship with God and true fellowship with other believers? Again, I'm not responsible for the cheesiness of... Um, of uh, those cartoons, but hopefully it'll help you remember the theme of First John. Let me give you um, a basic overview, uh, the structure of the book of First John. First John is um, generally separated in two parts. The first part talks about the basis of fellowship, and the second part about the behavior of fellowship. So we'll run you through each section in the book, and it's it's all in your study guide. So please take one as as you, um, if you haven't taken one already, uh, take one as you go. First part of First John deals with um, John, John is saying, this Jesus that we have seen, this Jesus that we have touched, this Jesus that we walked with, this Jesus that we have experienced, this is the Jesus that we want to proclaim to you. This is the man that we want you to experience as well. It's not just some sort of fictional guy. It's not just some sort of a spirit, but he's a human being. And we want you to have fellowship with us and with him as well. And as... Um, he goes on and talks about what are some conditions to fellowship. First of all, he talks about walking in the light. And for John's readers, that was a common theme because um, there was probably some sort of early form of Gnosticism that was affecting the church. And even Gnostics believed that God was light. And all of us um, contain some sort of parts of light in us. So in order to have fellowship with God, John is saying we should walk in the light. As we walk to the light, we will confess our sins. The, sin will, uh, the light will reveal sin in us, and we will regularly confess our sins, allowing the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us. 
The third part is obedience to God's commandment. We should walk in obedience to God's commandment, notably the command of loving one another. John, John goes on to talk about cautions to fellowship, and this section is broken down in two parts, a practical part and then a doctrinal part. The first part, the practical part, John talks about the love of the world. What will, might separate you, what will take away your fellowship with God is the love of the world. The lust of the eye, the craving of sinful men, um, the boasting of what he has, being under the system of this world and not being under um, God's system. And then the second part is the spirit of the Antichrist. You see, those Gnostics that I was talking about, um, first of all, not only did they break away from fellowship with the rest of the believers, but they denied the very um, deity of Christ. They did not believe, they believed that Jesus might have been a human, but he is not um, Christ. He is not the Messiah. He is not the Son of God. So they denied Jesus Christ, therefore denying the Father, therefore denying everything that Jesus Christ has done. The third part, John talks about certain characteristics of fellowship. How, what would fellowship look like? What will be the result? Of, of fellowship. First of all, it talks about purity of life. Walk in the purity um, of life. Second aspect is the practice of righteousness. Even as God is righteous, God's children should act in a righteous way. Goes on to talk about love in deed and in truth. Not merely saying that we love people, but doing practical actions to love um, one another. And then having an attitude of testing the spirits, making sure that every teaching that you receive, you know that it's, you compare any teaching you receive by the book. And knowing that every teaching you receive should um, state who Jesus is, because what we believe is centered around Jesus. And the last part again, to love one another as Christ has loved us. And lastly, John talks about consequences to fellowship. What will happen as a result of fellowship? First part is victory over the world. As we put our faith and trust in God, in Jesus Christ, we'll have victory over um, the system of the world. We'll also have assurance of salvation. We will know that we are saved. Guidance in prayer, because as we um, walk in fellowship with God, we will conform to God's will. Therefore, God will guide us in prayer and answer prayers that are made according to his will. And lastly, freedom from habitual sin. Freedom from hab- habitual sin. If there's one key verse that would um, get target, that we could understand, okay, this is why John wrote this, this epistle, is 1 John 5, verse 13. So that I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. Throughout the book, John uses two verbs that are translated in English as know. One aspect of knowing is some sort of a growing experiential knowledge. I know how to play hockey because I play hockey and I'm hopefully getting better at it. Okay, I know how to play hockey. But then on the other hand, I know for a fact beyond the shadow of a doubt that the earth is somewhat round. Whether I like it or not, whether I believe it or not, this is a fact I know for sure. And John is saying here, I'm writing you so that you may know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. And what is eternal life? Well, it's a life of constant fellowship with God. 
a life of constant communion and fellowship with God. In John 17, verse 3, we read, uh, John says that now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you have sent. Okay? This is what John says. This is the goal of John. Now, how do you know for sure that you have a life of fellowship with God? How do you know that you have a life of fellowship with God? And I want to take you through um, two aspects, two um, things that John points out that will um, show you how do you know that you have a life of fellowship with God. The first aspect is by walking in the light of God's word. Walking in the light of God's word. You see, Gnostics believed that um, matter was evil. You see, God created um, the, the earth and everything, and there were fallen deities, and those fallen deities created the earth not exactly as God wanted it to be. Therefore, anything um, physical is evil. Our bodies, who cares? It's, it's, it's not good per se. Therefore, you could do whatever you want in your body, and it won't necessarily affect your relationship with God. You could um, be righteous in your mind and in your knowledge without necessarily practicing righteousness. And throughout the book, John um, refutes this, this heresy very strongly, especially in chapter 3. In chapter 3, John talks about how um, all of us are God's children. And it was commonly understood that um, any children would inherit the nature of his father. Any children would, would inherit the, the nature of, of, of his earth. Therefore, if he was born to a loving father, the children, to a certain extent, would reflect that character. And since um, God has so lavished his love upon us, and that we are called, we are called God's children, we should reflect God's character. Yet on the other side, John is fairly clear in verse, in verse 8 of chapter 3 that whoever is living a constant sinful life shows that he takes his character from the evil one. And those are very strong words. John, this is a very profound, simple yet very profound letter. Yet he talks about how Jesus appeared to actually destroy the works of the, of the evil one, verse 8 of chapter 3. Therefore, no one born of God will knowingly, habitually, and deliberately sin. Not that you will never um, sin per se, but you won't live a life of sin. Because God's seed is in you. One author translated as God's divine sperm is in you. Therefore, we will reflect God's character in everything that we do. Not only that, but God is light, like we've just talked about. And therefore, to engage in fellowship with God, we must walk in light, not in darkness. And as we walk in the light, we'll regularly confess our sins, allowing Christ's blood to continually cleanse us. I remember when I was a kid in our backyard, there was like some sort of a big rock. And as I took over that rock, there was a whole bunch of little bugs you know, just like started crawling away and just ran away. As soon as they saw the light, they just, they fled. 
And this is what God, the light of God's word will do in us. As the light of God's word shines upon our life, it will reveal those things. And as we confess those sins, we will start to act and to live in a righteous way. I found a Bible in this church, and I kind of opened it up to, who it, to see to who it belonged. And this is what it said on the inside. This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. I thought it was pretty clever. Is this your Bible? It's in a lost and found, by the way. <laughs> but my point is this, is that as we believe and as we walk in the light of God's word, word we'll reflect God's character and act in a righteous way. And for the past week or so, or past couple of weeks, and you've heard it in the sermon last weekend, that God seems to be taking us as a staff through um, the whole aspect of loving relationships. And John has a lot to say about that. As a matter of fact, he's saying, how do you know that you have a life of fellowship with God? A second point is by loving one another. By loving one another. And there's no better person to talk about this than John. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. And throughout the letter, it's written almost like a, as a love letter. He uses terms like, you know, dear children, uh, beloved, like really terms of endearments. You can pretty much sense his heart as he's writing this letter. And he's, he's saying those things specifically because there was, uh, especially in John chapter 2, we can read that there was a, a group of people and those Gnostics, they left the church. Because they uh, were at a point where, from what they believed, their teaching, what they knew, was far more than what the gospel is teaching. And this is what we call them Gnostics, means knowers. They knew much more than just what the gospel was teaching. And therefore, were treat, they were um, the knowers, the Gnostics, and they were treating ex- believers as second-class citizens. They were despising believers. Not treating them as brothers and sisters. And John refutes that very strongly in chapter 2, verse 20, when he says that you have received an anointing from the Holy One, and you, not, you do not need anyone to teach you. Those, those Gnostics won't teach you. No, the Holy Spirit, which lives in you, will con- which leads you in all truth. Therefore, you do not need the extra knowledge that they have. Moreover, all of you know the truth in verse 20, chapter 2, verse 20. Not just a certain part of you, not just the elite. All of you know the truth without exception by virtue of the spirit that lives within you. Therefore, we should love one another. In chapter 3, verse 10, Don says, This is how we know who the children of God and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not, anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. And we just talked about that. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. See, no one can be in delight if he hates his brother. And such love is absolutely fundamental. John says in chapter 4, verse 8, Whoever does not love does not know God. Whoever does not love has not experienced God. Because God is love. 
See, John is almost saying that it's legitimate to question your fellowship with him. It's legitimate to question your relationship with him if you do not love his children. Which is a hard question. It's legitimate to question your fellowship with him if you do not love your neighbor. And it's not just that we should love our neighbor, but in three, chapter 3, verse 16, he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. It's not merely loving them, but going to XML, lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, I, I love my wife. And I would die for her any day. Take a bullet for her, no problem. But to lay down my life constantly... Oof, that's a different issue. That's definitely a different ball game. And how do you know that, um, how can you lay your life for one another? What are some things that could, that, that could help you lay your life for your brothers and sisters? Let me um, talk to you about two things. First of all, by knowing their love language. By knowing how people can receive love. Gary Chapman, who's um, a counselor, after 20 years of counseling, came up with five basic ways that people can receive and experience love. And I want to lay those five things in front of you so that um, by understanding how people are wired, you will be able to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in a more practical way. The first aspect is, is words of affirmation. Okay, those people receive love when they hear it. You know, you you have to tell them, I love you. You're doing a good job. Keep on going, brother. This is how they feel love. If you write them nice encouragement cards, they feel, oh, they'll keep that card and frame it and put it up because this is how they feel loved. Okay, words of affirmation. Second Second aspect is quality time. Those are the people who feel loved when you spend time with them. It's not just spending time, you know, being together, watching TV. No, it's giving that person your undivided attention. Because there's a a difference between um, togetherness and proximity. I can be in proximity with somebody, yet not be together. I could be in the same room than my friend, yet watching TV while he's reading the newspaper. But quality time has to do with this aspect of giving each other's undivided attention. You could go for walks, you could go out for dinner, but you give each other your undivided attention. The third aspect is receiving gifts. See, gifts are a powerful symbol of love, and for some people it means more than to others. When those people, when you, for those people, when you receive a gift, you think, oh man, that person thought of me. They went to China and brought me back a keychain because they were thinking of me while they were in China. You know, they don't necessarily focus on what is given. It's just the thought that makes them feel love. Okay? Receiving gifts. The third part is acts of service. Okay? Those people feel love when you do things for them. When you do chores for them. Those people will say, actions speak louder than words. If you love me, show it. Do things. And as you do things for them, they will feel loved. And the last aspect is physical touch. 
Okay? Those people feel love when you, you give them a handshake, you give them a hug, you know, they'll sit next to you, they'll pat you on the back, and they, they feel loved. When, you know, they're getting a hug or something, they're getting some sort of physical touch. And like I said earlier, you see, I would die any day for my wife. No problem. But acts of service is one of her love language. Yeah, you, you, you know where that's going. <laughs> Therefore, for her to feel loved, or she feels loved, when, you know, like I take out the garbage, and I do the dishes, and I clean the house, and I do the laundry, and I go, she feels love when I do that. Yet that requires me to lay down my life, because those things don't come naturally for me. You see, we speak a different language. As a matter of fact, for the first two years, when we were dating, you see, I would buy her stuff. Because, you know, um, receiving gifts is one of my love languages. Often you will express it the way you like it to be received. So the first three years, I would buy her stuff. You know, watches, clothes, boots, coats, name it, I bought it. And she would tell me, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, blah, 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 yada, yada, who cares? You know, and after two years, she had the nerves to tell me, Stevens, I don't think you love me. <laughs> like, what? Look at your closet and look at mine. And you're telling me that I don't love you. As a matter of fact, everything you're wearing today, I bought it for you. And she said, but I love you, I love you, I love you. Who cares you love me? Buy all your stuff. Because that's how I receive love. And then she said, but you never tell me you love me. You know, that's when it clicked. I said, okay, you know what? I don't need to spend as much money anymore. <laughs> that made sense. I will tell her that I love her. And she would start buying me stuff. Now, she had to lay down her life for me. As a matter of fact, this shirt that I'm wearing today is the very first shirt that she bought me. You see, um, we speak different languages. And when you, you know the language of somebody else, of other people, you will know how to lay down your life for them in a practical way. I had two parents. My, both of my parents spoke my, my, my two primary love languages. My dad would buy me stuff. And my mom would, like, regularly play with me. You see, she'd be on the phone. I'd be sitting on her lap, and she'd, like, play in my hair and everything. And, oh, I'd be there for, like, two or three hours. But had Joanne grown up in my family, she probably wouldn't have felt love. Because this is not her love language. We had a session with our youth not too long ago. When we asked them, you know, what are some things you wish you could hear from your parents? And most predominantly, it was the whole aspect of being, feeling loved and hearing I love you. And you know what? I've yet met one parent who've told me that, you know, I don't love my kids. It's just that we're not speaking the same language. So learn to know people around you and learn their love language so that you can lay down your life in a practical way. As a matter of fact, my friend Dave, who was leading worship last night, said we should have some sort of a business card that says our love language. So that when we meet people, say, okay, those are my love language. If you want to lay down my li your life for me, here's how you can do it. <laughs> and how can I lay down my life for you? They give you a business card so that you know for sure how to lay down your life without um, being confused. Okay, so first of all, we were laid down our lives by knowing their love languages. 
The second part is by knowing their story. And this truth came alive to me not too long ago when two of our youth um, shared their story with the rest of our group. And I've actually invited them to share their real-life story. You don't know me. What? You see me reach into my pocket so you think I'm going to pull out a weapon? You did ask me for the time. You don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. You weren't there when my siblings and I had to duck and cover because people were shooting up the neighborhood. You weren't there when the police busted through the back door on a drug bus to handcuff my brother for no reason. Had me so traumatized at five years old I couldn't remember my own name, much less speak. You don't know me. You don't know if I'm a good kid that I still get pulled over by the police on my way to a youth meeting. For what? To ask me stupid questions and make me late for a youth meeting? No, you don't know me. You don't know that I think I'm a good kid. I stopped hanging out with old friends that are now in jail and some of them are gang members. No, you don't know me. I come to church and what? I'm ridiculed by how I dress. And the thing that hurts is they don't even tell me. They talk about it behind my back and others tell me about it. No, you don't know how I feel to tell someone I'm a Christian and not to be shocked. Why? Because where I live, who I hang out with, how I react to things. No, you don't know. You don't know how I feel to have my father not there for me for 16 years. But yet I, have, I still have my Heavenly Father there for me. He's always been there for me that I'm trying to get back to Him and serving Him the best I can. And one day I wish to be a youth pastor. Now you know. It's 9.31. Oh, that's cool, man. I always see you around here. Yeah, usually I'm driving when my car broke down, so, you know. Today I'm just like you. Whoa, look at your bag. What are you smuggling into Canada? You don't know me. You don't know me, right? So what gives you the right to judge what you don't know? Anyways, since you don't, since you won't, because if I could, I would take the time to learn about each of you fully so truly none of you could longer abuse that sorry excuse of... You don't know me. You don't know me, and that's a shame. But really now, who's to blame? And you don't know about my birth in Iraq, Baghdad to be exact. And you weren't there in 91 when my family with only health intact walked two days straight to Turkey without ever looking back. And it wasn't so bad after all. After all, were you there when we lived in that ghetto witch makes the worst place in Canada feel like the Ritz? And it wasn't so bad after all. After all, Were you there at Canada Customs when in shame? My family and I changed our last name, and since then I've never looked at Canada the same. But it wasn't so bad after all. After all, did you help the hardships of eight people living in a Rexdale apartment? Which wasn't so bad after all. After all, if you could, would you follow me around for my first year of school to lesser me feeling like a fool when I knew no English and even less of the culture then? And it wasn't so bad after all. After all, were you there to help me through each and every problem that I've ever had? No, you don't know me, and that's too bad. And you don't know anything, anything about the cab driver that just whistled at you, or the truck driver you cut off while you were too busy worrying about yourself, as if you could get the time to get to know someone else. 
and the farmers that grow your produce, for you to get to know them is of no use. What about the intelligent convenience store clerk? Or the landscaper that puts pride in his work? Or the careful waiter you think is a jerk? What, because he doesn't have an English education? For you to get to know them is beyond your patience. And what about that quiet coworker at the plant who has degrees from universities in his homeland that he earned and to think you had tried to teach him what he had already learned when in reality it was him lending you a hand with a subtle accent and friendly gestures grand even then, even when they built the railroad while you paid them enough to live, there's not a Chinaman's chance to listen to them tell you about how they gave you enough to give so you could afford to pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention every time I mention a fop, lip, wop, spick, negro, polack, or packy. Are you paying attention? After all, I am Meraki. Just another terrorist, right? It's true. After all, you'd know now, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's funny. But you know what? Can't believe everything you read. Oh, look. Buzz is here. Finally. Now, how did you feel listening to their real-life stories? You see, when you learn somebody's stories, it gives you perspective into their lives. When you hear what they have gone through, how life was like, how a relationship was like, it gives you perspective into their lives. Not only that it gives you perspective, but it creates compassion. Right? I hope now that if you see Stetson and Michael at a bus stop, that you will hopefully lay down your lives and give them a ride. And that will happen because you've heard their story. Last night, actually, after the service, a bunch of us went out to a restaurant, and we had an awful waiter. When I mean awfully, it was just bad and rude and uh, 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 you know, and we asked for separate bills and no, no separate bills all together. He put a tip in it. Anyways, really bad server. And one of us that we're seeing was some sort of a manager. So he knew he was probably having a bad day. He shouldn't be doing that and blah, blah, blah. Start judging him a little bit. And one of the girls that were with us kind of went around and asked him, hey, you know, is, is everything okay? And he said, no, I had a horrible day. Um, I have two kids, one-year-old one and three-year-old. They're just driving me crazy, and I'm sorry. And he came back to our table and, and apologized. And you see, just knowing parts of his story just changed. We were totally fine tipping him. We are totally cool afterwards because we knew parts of his story. And I told him, I said, Dan, I will come back to this restaurant, and I will actually ask for you every time I come back because now I know parts of his story. You see, once you know somebody's love language, and once you hear their story, it'll be easier for you to lay down your life for your brothers. And quite frankly, it's not an option. Just like love is, is more than a feeling, it's actually a choice Loving our neighbors is not an option. In every single chapter of this book, John mentions something that has to do with this. In chapter 1, verse 7, he said, If we walk in delight, we have fellowship with one another. Chapter 2, verse 10, Whoever loves his brother lives in delight. Chapter 3, verse 11, This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Chapter 4, verse 1, Dear friends, let us love one another. Chapter 5, verse 1, Anyone who loves the Father will love his children. 
this is not an option. And John almost seems to suggest that your love for God is no bigger than the love for your brother you love the least. Your love for God is not bigger than the love for your brother or your sister that you love the least. And it's, 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 it's serious. This is a serious matter. But part of what God is saying, uh, John is saying that chapter 4, verse 7 to 12, that little segment there, John talks about nobody has never seen God, especially verse 12. Nobody has ever seen God. But as we love one another, as we lay down our lives for one another, we are being God incarnate to one another. We are being the hands and we are being the feet of God to one another. And this is how people will see God. When we learn to lay our lives down for one another. Let me give you a couple of next steps as we end that will help you hopefully lay your life down for another. First aspect is you need to rearrange your schedule and spend quality time with God through his word. Because this whole loving one another business will not happen out of our mere will, will not happen out of our own strength, but it will only happen as we take the time to get to know God, to get to experience the love of God, to get to remember how God loved us, and therefore we could go out and love other people. And you need to take some time and identify what are your love languages. You know, how do you best receive love? Another aspect is, who do you need to share your story with? Or better yet, whose story do you need to learn? Whose story do you need to hear? Think about it. Whose story do you need to hear? Whether it's at work, whether it's in in the family here, whether it's in your own family. Whose story do you need to hear? And how will you lay down your life to love that specific person? As the worship team comes forward, I just, I just want to remind you that what I've been talking about is not um, how that you will prove, if you do those things, you will prove that, you know what, you're, you're, you're a child of God. No. It's chapter 324. As the Holy Spirit is working in you, you will display those things, which shows that actually you have been born again. So be encouraged. If you have displayed the slight incline of righteousness and of love towards your neighbor, be encouraged that you know what? You are. You know that you are a child of God. And as we love one another, like the song says, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they know we are Christians by our love. Some of we just saying said, better is one day in your courts uh, than thousand elsewhere. I've actually just received news that Shirley Snyder, um, a lady uh, who's been affiliated with this church for uh, a good chunk of time, has actually passed away and is now living a life of fellowship with God. Um, it's, it's, it's sad, yet I'm pretty sure it's the best day of her life. You know, I've heard it said once that... Um, the life's, life's deepest meaning is not found in accomplishments, but in relationships. And, and as you go, I want to bless you with meaningful relationship with God and meaningful relationship with one another.
Be blessed. Go in God's name.